0: am i using this because it's being recorded is that the purpose all right so be very careful what i say can and will be held against me ah cool guys well good to be here and uh let's take a few minutes i've called this uh men of fire i was going to call it men of wind and fire but i thought men of wind might not work so well so uh yeah (laughs) fair enough so I, I, I love the opportunity to get together and talk to guys because I honestly believe that God has called men to be leaders in our communities, in our families, and, uh, and there is a, a unique call upon men to live certain ways and to follow the things of God. You, uh, our society wants to tell you that men, women, all same, same, but that's, that's a load of garbage. God has wired men and wired women different. And there is a call and a hand of God. And when you see men stand up in godliness and righteousness, there's something that's special about that. And uh, so, so I want to talk about the idea of standing up because uh, I honestly believe that our nation needs men that carry the fire of God, that carry the, the wind of God into our communities like never before. Never before has our nation been looking for men and people to stand up and lead like they are now. And so I want to encourage you that. And so I've picked probably the most um, uh, nerve-wracking v- passage in the scripture, if you're a guy, Joshua chapter 5. Joshua 5, I thought I had it written out, but I don't, so... Joshua chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, I think it is. And uh, if you weren't nervous prior to this, you will be after I've read it. Joshua 5, 1 to 6, or verses 2, it says, Now at that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives uh, and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeah, and this is why he did so, because all those who came out of Egypt, all the men of the military age, or in New King James it says, all the men of war died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, But all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years and all the men who were of military age or men of war when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised to his ancestors. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been done so on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. And uh, actually talks in one version about a hill of foreskins. Now that's an uncomfortable day. You know, like right there, he says, you've got to circumcise them again. You'd think after the first time, but after number two, there's not much reckon left. But uh, I think if you were to approach that day, you would just want to, you know, like if you're doing a shift of something, you'd want to get at the start of a shift, wouldn't you? You don't want to be the last guy before the knife's too blunt they got to change to a new blade. It's like, ah, ah, one more, we've got to get 100 per knife. And uh, anyway, so that right there... Would have been a horrible time for the people of Israel. But that had to be done. Had to be done. And there's a reason it had to be done. And I think the real tragedy of this verse is actually not the anatomy of what was going on. The real challenge to this verse, or the tragedy of it, is found in verse 4, where it says, All the males of military age or of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they'd come out of Egypt. To me, that's heartbreaking. Because here's the guys that should have been the carriers of fire. Here's the guys that should have been the imparting, the guys that impart the breath of God to the next generation. But it's not the fact that that they died that's tragic. I mean, everyone dies. Join the club. We're all going to die somehow. So it's not that they died that's the problem. It's how they died that's the problem. It's where they died that's the problem. They didn't die nobly on a battlefield fighting waging war. That's where they should have died because they were men of war. That's what they were trained to do. That's who they were. That was their call. But they didn't die on a battlefield. They didn't die nobly. They didn't die defending some heroic territory. They died wandering around a desert. That's the tragedy. They had been freed by God through this huge miracle, freed of Egypt. They were carrying as much wealth as the people of Israel up to that point in history had ever carried. They were on their way to the promised land. But instead of dying, taking territory for the next generation, instead of dying, passing on wind and fire of the things of God to the next generation, they died aimlessly wandering around in a desert. I reckon that's sad. And I think just like that generation had been given every tool, they were free. They had the the pillar of God behind them, the the cloud above them. They had the the provision of God. They had everything. I mean, these guys were seeing miracles from the moment they left Egypt. They were seeing miracles. They had every reason to succeed, every reason to possess. The, The promised land was only three days journey from where they left. Yet they died 40 years later in the wilderness, with no enemy in sight. I reckon that right there is tragedy. But here's the thing, this generation, you and me, we actually have the most support, the most tools, the most access to material about God, the story of Jesus. We've got every available media. We've got mediums to share our faith that other generations only dreamt about. We've got communication and tools coming out our ears to share the gospel. You know, for the first time in history, we have the greatest opportunity to serve God. Let's make sure we're not like these guys and we die without getting into the battle. It takes men to stand up to get in to the battle. And here's the thing. Not only had they not possessed anything, but they were the reason that no one else had possessed anything. Again, this just gets sadder to me. Not only did they not possess, but the Bible says in Deuteronomy 2 verse 14 that until this generation had died, God wouldn't give the next generation the promised land. Imagine that. Imagine not only limiting yourself from God's plan, imagine limiting your kids from God's plan. Imagine limiting the youth in your community from God's plan. Imagine limiting the young men coming up in your church from what God has for them because of a faithless lifestyle. Joshua chapter 5 and verse 6 says, Until they had gone, until all these men of war that had no faith, had no spine in them, had no ability to wage war, until they were dead, God refused to let the people get into the promise. Now, before we write these guys off, I actually think it's worth considering our own lives. Because sometimes we read stories like this and go, what losers? Seriously, total losers. But, hey, if we think we're immune from the same challenges that they were, let me tell you, we're crazy. We face the very same things that they had in their world, in their life, in their mind, in their heart, in their spirit, however you want to put it. We face the very same challenges ourselves. And uh, and you might be thinking, hey, what have I got to do with a war? Like, come on, Karen, this is like, this is Empower Conference, not boot camp. Let me just read you a few passages. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. You're part of the church here today? And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. You're part of the church. You signed up for an army. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12 says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. There is a violence that the enemy is taking to our community that this room here, you guys are the battleground. You guys are the ones that need to stand up for God and His people between the enemy and what He wants to do. You're involved in a violent transaction, a violent clash between heaven and hell. You are already enlisted in an army. You might not have realised it, but you're on. You're on call already. Ephesians chapter 6, we're given the armour of God. We're given the armour of God. Why would God give us armour? Because there's a battle. That's why he gave us armour. He, he tells Timothy, fight the good fight. I love that. He, he tells him, get out there and fight the good fight. The Christian war is not tiptoe through the tulips. It's not wander around. It's fight the good fight. Even Paul, reflecting on his own life-serving God, he says, I have fought the good fight. I've run the race. I've finished the face. And so if you're a Christian, if you're part of the church, the Bible clearly outlines that you're a man of war. You're in a war for God's kingdom. You're in a war for the generations to come. And it's our responsibility to help defeat the enemy and to help people to bring life, to bring hope, to heal, to restore, to preach the gospel that has the power to save people. Can I put to you, we can't have another generation of Christian men die in the wilderness because that's not why God has given us armour just to carry around. You know, if we were supposed to just wander around, God wouldn't have given us kilos of armour, would He? If we were just supposed to just be Christians cruising around, and just doing whatever, Ephesians 6 would read, now take up the comfortable, focused shoes made from lightweight materials that you would enjoy wandering. That's, that's We could rewrite the Bible, but it doesn't say that. It says take up the armour of God because there's a battle out there. And my challenge and my hope for you today is that you guys would make a decision, would make multiple decisions to stand up, to stop playing spiritual games or put your spiritual life on the back burner while you get your career underway or you you make all your money and, and instead you'd grab a hold of what God has to make a difference in a generation. Be more concerned about carrying the breath of God to people, more concerned about carrying the fire of God to the generation than we are about making money or we are about being a hero, or we are about our cool clothes, or whatever it is that we did. You know, you can track what these guys did wrong. Through Numbers chapter 13 and 14, there's a story of some spies, and God actually, this is where He talks about their refusal, His refusal for them to enter the promised land. You know what amazes me? So when you go to chapter Numbers 13 and 14, And God rebukes them for their disobedience. He never says anything about their past. See, this has got nothing to do with the fact that they were once in Egypt. That that was just taken for granted. So God's ability for, or our ability to wage war for God has nothing to do with your past. God does not tell them off for being grossly immoral. They looked at some bad pictures or they slept with some girl or they did something wrong. You know, God never addresses that. God doesn't care that they swore, spat or smoked. None of that's in the list of why they're not going to enter the promised land. It doesn't even register. It wasn't because they didn't pray enough. It's interesting that it doesn't mention they didn't experience enough miracles. Therefore, they didn't get into the promised land. It never says that. It never says that they be, because they weren't smart enough. It's got nothing to do with education. It wasn't because they were too violent. These were men of war. You know, the one reason it says is because they had seen God and yet continually put him to the test and refused to believe God's promise for their future. And I'd put to you today, all the stuff that we think disqualifies us from God, it does not. All the stuff that you make as a list of why God can't use me or why I can't stand up or why I'm not a leader, none of that matters. God didn't pull up anything. The only thing he pulled up was the fact that they refused to believe in who God was and what God had for them to possess. There's no reason why every person in this room can't stand up and be a carrier of wind and fire to the next generation. So here's a few things. There are a few specific things. There are actually really 10 incidences that took place where God lists what they did wrong. But, but I'm just, I've broken it up into sort of like four or five just different areas that if we can get a hold of for our lives, we can be carriers of wind and fire, carriers of something of God for the next generation. Here's the first one. They refuse to keep a thankful spirit. So here's my advice for you. Keep a thankful spirit. Be thankful in your life for what God has done. You you see, they murmured against God at the Red Sea with the Egyptians behind them. They complained about misfortunes at Tibera, complaining about God's provision. And then they were unthankful, you know, that God had provided manna and they wanted something different to eat. These people of Israel were constantly complaining. You ever met someone that just whinges all the time? You, You just want to put them down, don't you? It's like if you're a pet, you'd be gone. You know, I remember one day I was out walking in uh, in our neighbourhood, one of our neighbourhoods, and I met this guy. We'd just moved to the neighbourhood, and this guy was like walking his dog. And so I struck up a conversation, and he goes, oh, I tell you what, can't believe all the complaining that goes on in this neighbourhood. I'm like, really? And he went on for about five minutes to tell me about all the complaining that goes on in the neighbourhood, and I literally was thinking, are you listening to yourself, champ? Like... You're the only one complaining about the complaining neighbourhood. I've never heard a complaint until I bumped into you. Admittedly, it was a strange neighbourhood. Another time I met a lady and she was literally walking a pig. Yeah, like my dad goes, Karen, there's a pig out the front. And I'm like, what should I be getting? Gun, dog, knife, like what, what, are, we, what are we doing here? This is, this is in suburban Budrum, okay, on the Sunshine Coast. And I'm like, what? And I thought maybe dad had finally lost it. You know, he's, he's close. Maybe he just the, the, the switch had gone, dad. Had, but I come out and there's this lady with a full-blown pig on a leash. And, and it's on our front lawn. And I'm like, what is this? <laughs> and so she has a pet pig. Like weird. There's weird people out there. My son comes out. He's like three or four. And he comes out and he's like, Dad, a pig. I'm like, I know. And she goes, oh, you can pat it. I'm like, no, you can't. I didn't want him confused. Patting things that later he's going to have to get rid of. And so <laughs> you, you got to be careful. I, I, just, I just couldn't believe, though, that this dude was complaining about complaining. I'm like, you're the complainant. But some people, that's how they live. But I I tell you what, one of the keys to serving in God's army and moving forward is keeping a grateful and thankful spirit. Uh, um, Sadly, too many guys get a chip on their shoulder Get some little thing that they let turn into an offence and then they're bitter at church or upset at the pastor or bent out of shape with leadership or whatever. Let me tell you, Ephesians 5 verse 4 says this, Obscene stories, this is in the New Living Translation, Obscene stories, foolish talk and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. When I read that, I'm like, wow, what a challenge. Which of that list describes my conversations best? Mind you, I was a scaffolder for quite a few years. So you're out on the job side. There's a lot of stuff talked about and not much of it fits into thankfulness to God. But but what a great question for us. to have! What comes out of our mouth? Not what comes out of the mouths of those around us. What comes out of our mouth? Is it thankfulness to God? Hebrews 12, 28 says, Therefore, receiving as we do a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us cherish thankfulness so that we may offer to God an acceptable servant with godly reverence and awe. I like this verse because I think that people that aren't thankful lose their awe. When you lose your thankfulness, you lose your awe of God. If you want to be one of the guys that can carry God to the next generation, you've got to keep an awe about Him you got, got to remember, we were lost, broken mongrels at some point. And God rescued us. Man, you know, if we ever walk into church and attempted to just chill out in worship, remember what you were before you were a Christian. Remember what God saved you from. We, we ought to be the most passionate worshippers ever. And, and people that keep an awe about God and their salvation, they just have a thankful spirit about them. And, and let me tell you, if you don't want to wander around in the wilderness and you don't want to die, you know, not fighting the enemy that you were designed to, you've got to keep awe and thankfulness in your spirit. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. But here's the deal. If we're complaining against God, we're complaining about life, there's no joy when you're complaining. No one is happy while they're complaining. So if we're complaining, then we're missing the joy, which means we don't have the strength to fight the battles. You can only fight battles when you're strong. So in order to be strong, we've got to resist the ability to complain. You see, the devil doesn't need to make you evil. He really doesn't. To rob you, to rob the young people coming up in Harvey Bay or whichever community you're from, He doesn't need to do that. He just needs to make you ungrateful. Doesn't need to get you doing gross sin. Just make you ungrateful. Just make you take God for granted. Just make you ticked off at the church. That's all He's got to do. And then He can rob you of your ability to fight Him. We need to refuse to complain, guys. Let me tell you. We don't need any more pansies that whinge about their sore toe or what happened when they were three. We've we got to start manning up, taking responsibility for our attitudes. And I think, you know, we've got to refuse to complain about God's ways. You know what? Things happen. Life happens. Don't get bit out, bent out of shape. I've got a good mate that passed away just this week in a diving accident. Horrible thing. You know what? People turn from God. No, turn to God, not away from God when stuff goes wrong. Don't complain about God. Run to Him. If you get lost in the valley of the shadow of death, you want to know that His rod and staff are close. Don't run away from the only protection you've got. Hang close. You've got to refuse to complain about His church. Let me tell you, church, they're not perfect, but let me tell you, Neither's the one down the road, neither's your workplace, neither's your footy club, neither's, neither are you. None of us are. We just got. I've noticed that it's not the church that matters; it's the attitude to church. Keep a good attitude about your local church. Get in and be a part of it. And uh, we can, we can't fight the good fight while we're fighting the bad fight of complaining. We we got to get thankful in our heart. And uh, if we do that, we can carry some stuff in our life. Here's the next one. You've got to keep a faith spirit. You've got to keep a faith-filled spirit. Um, you know, these guys had some challenge. They were, there was the bit of water at Mara where they just refused to believe God. There was hunger, and they could start complaining. Has God brought us out here to die? And, you know, well, if God didn't provide manna from heaven, you know, they could always eat a horse or something, I suppose. They're always whinging about something. What Manna from heaven's not falling. And then once there was manna, then, oh, well, we want something different. Or why can't we collect it for the the days to come? The people of Israel were all, there was no faith in them. And that's when, even though God was providing miracles, every time they came up against another challenge, they would complain against God. Man, how short is your memory? Like he provided last week, I reckon he can do it again this week. It's not like God had like an awesome angel on the protection part of things. He's like clouds of fire and pillars of this and parting the Red Sea. But then the logistics angel, he was an idiot. He's like, man, I've rescued him. But man, we've run out of food. What are we going to do? I'm pretty sure God wasn't caught by surprise. God, God just needed people with a bit of faith in their spirit. And here's the deal. I reckon God needs a generation of men that stand up and believe him for the impossible. Men willing to get some faith in their life. Men willing to take some faith steps. Men that are willing to believe God's Word and to start to possess some stuff in faith. God's Word is full of promises. And let me tell you something about God and His Word. They're faithful. Psalm 56 verse 4 says, I praise God for what He has promised. And I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? Powerful passage because God is faithful and God can be trusted. And why should I be afraid? You want to get fear out of your life? You need to replace it with faith. You need to learn to trust God. We need men of God that stand up with some faith in their life. And and let me just, I just wrote down a few things. And learn what it is to give a great offering. I tell you what, I I feel like there is a generation in some cities that has missed out because men never learnt what it was to give more concerned about building their own business and mortgage than they were the kingdom of God. We need some men that realize it's not either or. You can give and sow with your heart, with your life, and God can build, give back. We need some men that have some faith to serve God, to, to, to work at building the kingdom of God. You know, I love seeing you up on stage, man. I just love that. To have a guy who will stand up there and is man's man and yet lead people into passionate worship. We need that. We need men that are not afraid to get involved in church and sow their heart and life into it. Because the next generation of guys is looking to you guys to see whether this is real or not. And if it's real, then we'll be in boots and all. We need some guys that will take faith steps to serve God in the ministry. Too many guys are doing other things and not serving God in the ministry because they were afraid to take a step of faith. Let me tell you, God, it, it, Pastor Rossman And Peter, we're talking about a a great revival hitting our nation. Well, that will not come until there's great men willing to take great faith steps, willing to put other stuff aside so that God can move in and through them. Men that are willing to sacrifice and go to war with comfort, comfort and spiritual apathy. We've got to do that, guys. If we are ever going to lead the next generations into what God's got, you don't do it by sitting around comfortably. You don't do it with playing God second fiddle and he takes sort of a third or fourth position in your life depending on how busy you are at the time. No, no, God's got to be top of the list no matter what's going on in our world. God works through faith. Hebrews eleven six 6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. I reckon we've got to refuse to settle down and get cynical or even passive about our faith. You've got to fight passive thinking. You've got to fight comfort. You've got to choose to be a man of faith. And uh, let me just tell you guys, our our generations that are coming up, they need to see men with some faith in their life. Men that are not afraid to believe. Men that are not afraid to pray. Men that are not afraid to give. Men that are not afraid to sow. Men that are not afraid to give up and get out and take a step of faith and serve God or do something and, and just desperately rely on God to come through. Here's the third thing, that if we're going to carry wind and fire, God does not give fire to people that will not take steps of faith. If you're out on an altar call praying for fire, you better match it with a step of faith. Because God doesn't pour fire in candles. God's not into lighting candles. He lights bonfires. And so we if we, if we want God's fire, we've got to give him something to burn. Steps of faith are required. Here's the next one. You've got to trust God's timing and... Again, Peter preached on this. See, these guys were impatient, weren't they? Uh, This instance that God refers to in this book is the idolatry of the golden calf. Remember, Moses goes up on the mountain, takes a little bit longer than what they think. And so then they decide to make their own God. And uh, they they make a golden calf. Surely if you're going to make an idol of some animal, you'd pick something better than a cow. Like of all the inspirate or uninspirational animals, what's a cow do? Like sits around a paddock and chews grass. Yet for some reason, they wanted to worship a cow. I mean, I'd pick a lion, or an eagle, or like something awesome. But these idiots, a cow. I've got a saying: you can't fix stupid. And that's uh, a bit. But here's the deal: they were impatient with God. And rather than wait for what God was doing, they decided to abandon God because he was taking too long and go and do things their own way and their own strength. Let me tell you, we, we, when we do that, we, short, we, do, we don't shortcut, we short circuit God's plan for our lives. And, and there, there is no way to go ahead of God. God will do things in his own time. God, I see an islander brother here, God runs on island time. If you've ever been to an island, I went to Fiji. And like, it didn't matter when they told you something was going to happen. It just happened like three hours later. And God was always just running a little bit on his own clock. And I, the Fiji, sorry, ran on their own clock. I reckon God runs on his own time. That's what he does. God, God runs on his thing. And we try and push it and make it happen and give God deadlines. And God says, I'm just not that interested. I'm really not worried about what and when you think. And, 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 In many senses, this is part of the point because God runs on his own thing. I mean, think about this. When Lazarus was dead, Jesus wasn't three days late. Everybody else thought Jesus was three days late because Lazarus died. They're like, Jesus, you're late. He's like, no, I'm perfectly on time. I wanted him to die. I, I needed to come and demonstrate some stuff. So everyone else thinks God's late, but Jesus is right on time. We read the story of Jesus and we we go, you know, well, well, what happened between the age of 12 and 30? Was that like wasted time? I mean, Jesus was 30 when he started his ministry. He knew what he was doing at 12. What happened for those 18 years? Like, well, what went on there? Well, that was God preparing his son for what he had to step into. It's interesting to know that Jesus prepared for his ministry six times longer than he ever operated in it. And God never referred to his preparation time as wasted. He actually describes it as I'm about my father's business because God is in the business of preparing us for what he's got. But you can't rush his timing. You've got to trust his timing. And the people of Israel got bent out of shape with God. There's probably young guys here and you'll be waiting for a pretty girl at some point. Hey, don't rush ahead. Don't make a bad decision because you're impatient with God. Don't do it. I've seen too many guys make bad decisions because they're impatient with God providing. You know, some of you want to step out in ministry and, you know, some guys get impatient because there's not a wage for them. Don't worry. Just serve God. Do whatever. Serve God today. Don't wait for some opportunity, the golden gate to open up. Just serve God every day. Serve Him in your workplace. Serve Him with your clients. Serve Him in a mechanics workshop. Serve Him in the nursing quarters. Serve Him in the high school. Serve Him wherever. Don't wait for your chance to be in the ministry. You're in the ministry every day. You just got to wake up, spend time in God's Word and prayer. You think, oh man, if I was a preacher, I'd pray every morning. No, you are a preacher. Every day you preach to the lost people that are in your world. Man, you better be waking up and praying to get ready to preach to them. In fact, most of you will preach to more unsaved than I will this weekend, than Pete will most weekends, than Pastor Russell will. You guys preach to more unsaved than we do on a Sunday. Man, don't wait. Don't wait. Don't get on God's timing. God's timing for you is now, and, the, and yet we get frustrated with it because we've got this idea of how it should look. Hey, if you want to be a carrier of wind and a carrier of fire, you've you got to trust God's timing, but then understand that today is the day of salvation. It's this dual thing that we've got to manage. And here's the last one. You've got to understand and embrace leadership. One of the fatal errors they made and it cost them many people at one time, the sons of Korah, complaining against Moses. And then Miriam and Aaron joined the bandwagon at some point. And they criticized the man of God. And God dealt with it really harshly. I'm, I'm more convinced than ever. I've been serving God for 20 years now. And, and I'm more convinced than ever than one of the biggest hindrances to men rising up into what God has for their generation is their inability to come under leadership. Too many, too many of us think we're an island or we're a, all that and a bit more, or we're the big hero. And I, I tell you what, unless you can learn to serve the leadership that God places in your life, we will never be able to step into what God has for us. And, and I literally, I mean this in every sense of the word, we've got to learn what it is to serve People. And uh, this isn't just in church either, just in case you're wondering. If you're an employee, you ought to be the best employee in your workplace. Otherwise, you represent God and you're not showing a very good representation of Him to your boss. If you have a boss, you ought to be the best guy that walks into their workshop every single day. Uh, if you've got parents here, you can't go dissing your parents and then come in here and honour God with your lips. God says, honour your parents. Too many teenagers want to jump around at a conference and then diss mum and dad when they get home. That does not fly. Honouring is part of God's plan for our life. If you've got parents, and looking at the age group here, most of us probably have parents on some level or degree, and they might be getting a bit older. That doesn't change our need to honour them. Some of them are unsaved, and they're not going to get saved because you preach at them. They're going to get saved because you show them what it means to honour them. And you reflect God in their world, in our lives. Are, are we, do we have leaders that speak into our lives? Or are we too proud to have people in our lives that tell us hard truths? You know what? I've always had people in my life, and I continue to do so, that, that they will tell me the hard stuff that I don't want to know. Hey, that's a bad attitude, Karen. You've got to sort that out. That would be foolish, Karen. You, you should work on that. You, we've got to have people that speak into our lives. You know, Proverbs chapter 12 and 14, if you don't believe me, just read Proverbs 12, 13, 14. There's three chapters that just race through the fact that anyone that won't listen is a total moron. I can sum up those chapters. If you don't listen, you're an idiot. That's what it says. You've got to have people in your life that will lead you and guide you and tell you what you don't want to hear. In fact, God places people in our lives to give direction and guidance. It's it's To our own peril if we're too proud to listen. Let me ask you a question. Who in your life is leading you? And who in your life has you given permission to ask the the tough questions and tell you what you don't want to hear? Because if you don't have someone, you need to go and find someone. You want to be a champion in the next generation. You've got to have people that are helping you lift up to be all you can be. And, uh, you know, I I actually believe that it's it's not really a person that we're following until we get some feedback that we don't like. (laughs) That's when we find out if we're following them or if they're a convenient mentor until they tell us something I don't like and I'll go find another mentor. Well, that's not actually how it works. You need men of God, men of faith, men that'll challenge you, men that'll lift a higher bar for you, men that'll stir your faith. And we need a generation of men of war to stand up and let me just put it this way, Pastor Ross and Pastor Peter and the guys, they need men to get behind them. Sadly guys, if I'm honest, how many times are most of the volunteers in a church women? Now I get it, we've all got jobs and trades and a lot of them tend to stereotypically have a bit more time or whatever. But let me tell you, That's not how we're going to take over the world. I'm not saying they should stop. They should go. But it's about time men stopped getting dragged to church and started coming to church. It's about time men stopped sitting up the back with their arms folded and were the most passionately involved in worship. Your pastor needs you behind him. You know, they go out every week to fight the devil. What he doesn't need to fight is you and your bad attitude. Too many blokes are walking around being a pain in the butt in their church instead of holding up their pastor's arms and helping him go to war. They're creating fights in the church rather than fights out there. Can I encourage you guys, get behind your pastor. It doesn't mean you've got to think that, you know, sun shines out of his nose. You just just realise he's a man of God. He's committed his life to serving God and you get behind him support him. If he puts on a prayer meeting, why shouldn't you be there? I've been to plenty of prayer meetings and I'll notice usually the ratio is about nine women to one man. Why is that? Who's leading spiritually? Just a question. Men, we got to get behind. We got to learn to pray. If There's stuff going on in the church. Be there. If your pastor puts out the call for a big offering, well, let's have the blokes put their hands up to actually give. And so you're about to do a building project at some point in this place. I hope you guys buy in and make it happen. I'm to leave it up to your leaders to try and drag your kick in and spring. Get behind them, support them. You want to be a carrier of wind and fire? You get behind the person that God has anointed with wind and fire to lead the church forward and then you can be a carrier of it with them. What happens when you, you could get the hottest coal in the fire and put it out on its own and what happens? doesn't matter how hot it is, eventually it cools down. You've got to stay where the fire is. You've got to stay where the wind is. Get behind your pastors. Get behind your leadership and get into fighting the devil rather than fighting with them or fighting with one another. Let's get behind them. If a generation of men could learn to stand up and pray, seek God for themselves, be passionate about the local church, I'm telling you, we will see revival if we can do it. Can I pray for you this morning? afternoon. Father, I pray, Lord, for this room here. Sitting here, God, is unlocked potential. Father, a people that you have called to be leaders in our families, in our workplaces, in our community, Lord, in our church. And I pray, God, that you would unlock a generation of men that carry the fire of God. Men that carry the wind of God, men that, that carry the call of God, that stand up and they don't die wandering, they don't die aimlessly, but they, they Lord, live their lives with purpose, live their lives with fire, live their lives in such a way that the generations to come are led into the promised land. I pray that these guys would be possessors of territory for the kingdom, God, that the generations to come, they wouldn't have to fight battles that we wimped out of, but instead they would own the territory that that we took and God they would move on to greater things in Jesus' name. Give us courage and strength and stamina. And Lord God bless us as we go about serving your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome, guys. Thank you.